This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Just two weeks left to register for the January 2017 bobsled run of the Big Change Program. I wrote a piece today on my blog, plantyourself.com slash hope, that I think will be very useful for folks. One of the things I hear more than anything else when people are considering the Big Change Program is some version of, boy, I failed so many times in the past. I really want this. I really hope this will work for me. And the word hope is great, first of all, because it means they're willing to try. They're willing to commit. They're willing to put some money and time and energy and intention into the process. But as soon as they get in the door, Josh and I crush their hope. And we do this deliberately, and we do this with tough love, and we do it quickly. If you want to know why, go to plantyourself.com slash hope and check out the blog post. Okay, on to today's interview with Dave Wiskowski. The bad news is the settings on my mixer got messed up and my primary recording was unlistenable. Luckily, I had a Skype backup, but the problem with that is that my voice is pretty soft. Now, if you had a choice between not being able to hear me and not being able to hear Dave, I think you'll agree that this is the better solution. I've tried to clean it up and equalize as best I can, but there are going to be points where you're not going to be able to hear me all that well. Dave and I have known each other sort of since 1987. That was my first job out of college at Princeton Day School as a teaching intern, and Dave was in the fifth grade which now makes two podcast guests who were students when I was teaching there, including also the uh, eminent cardiologist, Dr. Rob Ostfeld. So Dave and I became Facebook friends, not because of the Princeton Day School connection, but through Josh Lajani, who really looks up to Dave as an accomplished athlete, accomplished runner, and someone who went plant-based and turned his life around. And so in keeping with that theme, which I've been really hammering home on this podcast over the last several months, here's another installment. And interestingly here, Dave was not dealing with so much with obesity, although he was quite overweight and unhealthy, but the main issue that he was facing was depression. And so it's really cool to see how plants and running helped him deal with that. So without further ado, Dave Wiskowski, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Thanks so much. You are a runner. I, I follow you on Strava and... Uh, <laughs> We, we, we each do like the, the monthly distance challenges and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really proud of myself somewhere in the, the three to six thousands. You were like number nine for a while, like nationally. <laughs> you're, you're now, I think like 134. You run a hell of a lot. Uh, what's your, I, what's your running <laughs> look like these days? Yeah, I've, I've been running a lot and this year, especially in, in, uh, 2016, I just decided to kind of ramp up the mileage a lot and, uh, and just see what happens. Just kind of test my body out with very high mileage. It's not something that I've done before. So this is a, this is a new thing. Um, I've, I guess I started in, uh, February of this year to see what would happen. And I just decided to run 10 miles a day every day and, uh, and see how my body responded. And, uh, it was a bit of a struggle at first and then, uh, it kind of adapted and I started running way more than 10 miles a day uh, every day. And, uh, yeah, then I <laughs> found myself up high on these Strava lists, which seems very silly to me, but, um, you know, I'm more concerned with how my body responds to things and, uh, it was fine with what I was doing. So I just kept doing it, but 
yeah, I, people have seen me up high on the Strava list, and they're, and they're uh, they they have things to say about it, and it's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you know, like what, what we can adapt to. Um, you know, right now I'm tra- I'm training for a marathon in the spring, and I'm looking at the time that I want to beat, and mm-hmm. it seems impossible. <laughs> so I'm doing I'm doing all this training for it, and you know, for for you looking back. You know, the ability to run 10 miles a day, to run 10 miles in a day a few years ago might have seemed out of reach. Oh, no doubt. I can remember because it wasn't that long ago. I've only been running for about five years total. Um, Yeah, not not even five years now. So, I mean, when I hit five miles, that was just uh, unbelievable. Uh, The first time I ever did 10 miles, I mean, I was just I was I, I was astonished that that was even possible. Um, so yeah, you, to just commit to something and keep going, it's incredible what our bodies can adapt to. Um, we still have to be kind of smart about how we do it. Um, I think I do have a conservative approach. People probably wouldn't think that, but I, I definitely do have a conservative approach and I, I really do listen to what my body is telling me, but yeah, there's, there's just no limit. Uh, and, and it's interesting that you say, that the time that you want to run, you find impossible. That's exactly how I felt for the first few years of running. Um, because, you know, those marathon times are your goals. And you just say, I don't even know how that's possible. I can't do that. But, you know, then within a certain period of time, maybe a year later, you're doing that with ease. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty phenomenal thing. Yeah, so when we were chatting prior to hitting record... You know, I asked you kind of like, is there a theme for, for what you're thinking about these days? And you said like your your theme is just putting things into practice, and it seems it seems like such a boring idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It, well, and that has taken me. Um, I'm probably five years into my. I, I am five years into my plant based journey as well. Uh, my, my whole kind of life changing uh, journey, um, and I. I'm only realizing it now, the simplicity of, of all of it, of, of, uh, of turning around my health, of becoming a runner, of um, just, you know, changing <laughs> many things for the positive. And it's really just about committing to um, a, a healthy path, committing to the things that we know are good for us, and then practicing it, having a regular practice of it, um, not going crazy. Uh, just doing it day in and day out. And it is astonishing what happens after a, a period of time. And that period of time is not too long. I mean, in, in one year, you can, you can achieve the impossible, I would say, in, in, in a year or less, no doubt. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, we'll, we'll get into kind of your, your journey and your backstory. You know, you you and I have a, a sort of a tangentially intersecting <laughs> connection. I have here in front of me the uh, Princeton Day School 1988 yearbook, <laughs> where I, I that's the year I was a uh, a teacher there, and I found you uh, in the fifth grade classroom next to Miss Forcina in the school picture. Um, and you know, so for. For years and years, you were putting things into, like, all we do in our lives is we put things into practice. And the question is just, like, what things, and are they, are they challenging us to grow or, or not? 
Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, and it is very funny that when, uh, when, when you contacted me and we found out that we were both at Princeton Day School at the same time, um, that was just, it's very, it's so interesting how, how we are all, all connected and, and those things do come back. I mean, I, I, I think about those things regularly now because I just have so many uh, connections with strangers that I meet now who are just not <laughs> strangers. Uh, you know, they're, they're people that you've known, you just haven't known them yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we do practice things regularly, whether we know it or not. And I think I lived, uh, me, the bulk of my life practicing certain things, but not realizing that I was and not realizing that there were other options. I think that's the key. I think it's once you break away from what you've always been doing and you do something else, you realize, wow, I could always have done something else, anything else. And it's not just there's this option of this one bad thing that I do and this other good thing. There's not just two options. There, there's, there's countless options in, in life. Um, but I think we very rarely see that. And we very rarely see that, that we're sort of committed to one all the time. Um, and that, that there are just other options out there that we can choose and then commit to and, and just see where that path goes. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I'm looking at the, the photo here of you know, <laughs> 10, 10 or 11 year old Dave. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of grainy and small, but there are, there are kids like smiling in this picture. And uh-huh. you are not one of them. Okay. Uh, I know uh. you mentioned you don't really remember those years, but I do. I, you know, I know that you've talked a lot, very publicly, about struggling with depression. Can you kind of give me a sense of like where 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 that came from, or how it began to manifest in your life? Yeah, that that's that's really interesting, and I'm I'm glad that you have the photo there to to show that because. Um, you know, these things that we're feeling inside really do show on the outside. We don't always know it. And again, when you when you are in your own life and your own head, you don't have a great perspective on what's going on necessarily, especially when you're struggling. Uh, and so I, I would say that I struggled with depression definitely at that time in, in fifth grade. I'm sure prior to that, I'm sure it was always something kind of, uh, you know, quietly under the surface. And as I, as I got older, it, uh, it just grew stronger. Um, I think it's what, I think it's what we've already talked about that, that, uh, it's a practice, it's a practice in a sense. Um, and that is sort of a new, uh, perspective for me that depression was a practice. Um, I always thought it was something that I was just born with and was stuck with. And uh, I, I definitely uh, sought help for it throughout my life, seeing uh, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists uh, being medicated for depression, uh, anxiety, all kinds of things like that. But um, only much more recently in my life did I really make any significant progress with it. And it's when I determined that I was choosing those thoughts. I was repeating those thoughts uh, to myself over and over again. And if I wanted those thoughts to go away, I needed to change the message. I needed to change the message in my mind from something negative to something positive. Um, and that that's kind of what I've been focusing on a lot in, in the more recent years. And it, it, again, it's tremendously powerful. You can, you can change almost whatever you want about your life. I'm not going to say anything, but you can change a tremendous amount of things, uh, in your life just by, just by committing and, and, and practicing. So but when you, when you were, you know, first seeking help 
for depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm imagining that lots of different therapists would have told you the same thing. Like, you know, change your thoughts. Like, that's the basis of, like, cognitive therapy, right? That you, you question your beliefs. What was, what was missing in, in those approaches for you? Um, you know, I can't even remember receiving uh, great input from any therapist. I, what I remember mostly is dwelling on the struggles and, and maybe that was me doing it. I'm sure it was, you know? Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I knew I had depression, you know, especially back then in, in fifth grade, but I knew something was wrong. I knew I just wasn't happy. Uh, and you know, you've got a great example there of other kids smiling and I'm not smiling. Like I, you know, that much I, I was aware of. Um, but I didn't know it was depression and I didn't know what depression was. Um, but in terms of, of input from therapists, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot, uh, of, of how to change things. I remember much more kind of the assumption that it's there and it's something you just keep and you have to kind of manage the best you can and you manage it with medication and you manage it with, uh, psychotherapy. Um, it's funny cause it's, it's very similar to, to things that I've learned about recently. The, the approach that, um, the medical field takes with, you know, cholesterol, with diabetes, with things like that, like, well, you're just going to have it forever and you need to be medicated forever now on this and manage it. Um, you know, we, <laughs> there, there are other approaches, there are other paths that kind of blow all that out of the water, um, which I've also come to, to learn. But uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember ever uh, in terms of depression, um, seeing anything that, that would work or hearing anything that would work. Now, it's very likely that I just wasn't open to anything and that I literally wasn't hearing anything outside of my own head. I mean, that is a very distinct possibility. I, I think I just spent all of those years inside of my own head, for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, as soon as you said the word manage, like I, I went where you went. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's the, the medical view. And, like, you know, we live in this, in this country that has traditionally been like crazy optimistic and you know put people on mars and cure hunger and <laughs> and you know genetic therapy and yet our our approach to like our, our our most basic and significant problems is is pretty piss poor in terms of of, of ambition you know that, that is a that is a really outstanding point i i love the way you said that and i'm now going to say that to people uh, yeah, we we have the ambition of putting people on Mars, but if you have uh, type two diabetes, we're just going to manage it. We're not go- we're not going to be a little bit more ambitious and you know look at what you're eating and shake up your your diet and your lifestyle a little bit and see if we can't you know <laughs> eliminate this problem. Right. It's like you know when I hear the word manage, you know it's 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 like got some sort of positive connotation. But if you think about like asking the question like somebody. You know, well, how, how's your marriage? Oh, we're managing. <laughs> like, that's, not, that's not a really high bar. It's a, it's a low, it's a low standard. Yeah. So if we're going to manage our marriage and manage depression and man, manage our cholesterol and diabetes, we're, we're not, we're not doing well. Right. We're, we're struggling. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, it goes, it, it goes along with depression. You know, when, you know, for many years I was an entrepreneur and a teacher of entrepreneurs, and there was always a, a subset of people who were really eager 
to hear the message, to roll up their sleeves, to learn the tools, to apply them. But most people in jobs were, were vaguely offended by the idea that you could become anything you wanted to be. You didn't have to be stuck. That, you know, that, 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 it, that sort of depressed realism wasn't a virtue. You know what I mean? The, yes, yes. The, the, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a, another great point. And, I, and I've lived in that life, and, and I think exactly what you're talking about uh, in terms of a career, that, that's the next phase that I'm in and trying to break out of that. Because I think when you're stuck in that mold, you're in that in all aspects of your life. It's rare that you can be one type of person in one aspect and another type of person in, a, in another aspect of your life. You're kind of the same across the board, um, but you, again, you don't necessarily know that. You're you're just within your own mind, and you don't see another perspective. But um, as I've made some changes, those those things have been shocking to me that you can step outside of them, and and the model that you thought existed doesn't need to. Uh, and so then, kind of one by one, I'm knocking those out. And yeah, precisely what you're talking about. Uh, is uh, is where I've found myself. That is so profound. I, I mean, I've thought about it, but I've never I've never thought about it so focused as you, the way you just described it. Is like we're stuck. If we're stuck in one aspect, we're stuck in all aspects. It, it, it is like this kaleidoscopic mirror, which which leads to the idea then that if you can then go downstairs and do 3.1 miles on your treadmill, whereas before you've never done more than three, that you've just broken through something globally. Right? Yeah. So everything has to shift a little bit, a tenth of a mile, in terms of your self-image, in terms of how much you're worth in the marketplace, in terms of what you can bring to a relationship. It all, it all has to shift when one thing shifts. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm with you. It's, it's profound. It's almost mind-boggling. But on the other hand... It's as simple as it could possibly be. It it makes total sense. It's just not the way we think. It's not the way we're conditioned to think. Um, and and I will tell you how I I came upon this. And it was it was pretty straightforward. I I uh, and I'll get into my backstory a little bit. I, I was very overweight. I was unhealthy. I was just kind of living an out of control uh, lifestyle, and things were not going well. And I adopted a whole foods plant based diet. And I was always opposed to vegans and vegetarianism. I, I didn't believe in it for my for all of my life. I thought it was a terrible thing. But then one day I did it, and it changed everything rapidly. And that showed me that, first of all, I was wrong about what I believed. So I could probably be wrong about everything I believed. And it showed me that there are other options. There are other models out there. There are other systems and I must just be in one that I'm staying in, but they can change <laughs> and they, and it can be a profound change. Uh, it, it was astonishing to me. I'm not trying to take credit that I knew that that would happen. Not at all. I was almost like a bystander in the process, even though I was doing it, but I was watching it happen. And I thought, wow, if I was wrong about this, I might just be wrong about everything. And so all I did was I opened up everything else in my life and said, well, let's look at it again and let's see if there's another way. And kind of one by one started trying different things in different aspects of my life. I think there's huge, 
power in being a bystander, in, you know, in being willing to have things go wrong, in being willing to go in the wrong direction, in, in being willing to kind of let go and, and not be ego attached to every decision you make. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the words that you just used there are things that run through my mind on a on a daily basis now. Uh, letting go, um, not not being attached to the ego. I mean, that is all very 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 difficult. That's been uh, the hardest process for me and and for everyone. I think that's what holds a lot of people back from from any kind of change in life. Um, you're 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 not willing to. Uh, do something that you might fail at, that you might be wrong about, or do something that goes against what you've always done. You, you have this sense of ego or, or pride or attachment, and it's really letting go of any attachments. And it doesn't have to be with judgment. So saying, you know, letting go is perfect. And that's, again, accidentally that I stumbled into this whole concept of just trying something and seeing what happens. And man, the thing I tried, I tried a whole foods plant-based diet and it was just profound. It was beyond words, beyond anything I, I could ever have uh, imagined <laughs> the, 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 the way it changed my life. And was, was the whole food plant-based diet the first thing you had tried in terms of diet or was just one, just one of a bunch? Uh, oh, so th yeah, throughout my life, I've tried all different kinds of diets. I mean, as an adult, I was gaining weight probably in high, I was a high school athlete and then I played a little bit of sports in college, but kind of stopped doing that and, and just started gaining lots of weight and getting more into, you know, indulgence, eating really bad food and, and, and drinking a lot more alcohol and that, you know, those things keep going. You don't really stay static in life. So whatever path you're on, you're kind of going farther on that path as, as the years go on. Um, and so I tried all different kinds of diets, uh, throughout my adult years. And I tried working out, I was familiar with working out and exercise. Um, and I would have some moderate success, but it always felt like a major struggle. Um, and it, it always felt like, uh, just a lot, a lot of work and sacrifice and kind of suffering. So it was not sustainable at all. And really, if you have a negative mindset, which if you're suffering from depression, you already have negative messages inside your mind, then all you need to do is realize this isn't working and you're slipping backwards and you're now beating yourself up even more, you know? So you're you're not getting the results that you wanted from your diet or you're working out. And on top of it, you, you kind of hate yourself even more for it. it it's just it's this awful cycle that is so easy to be trapped in. And I know I was trapped in it for, you know, the majority of my adult years. And I'm sure many people are. It's, it's, a, it's a very sad thing. Yeah. And, and I'm, also, I'm wondering, like, what was your goal in, okay, let me try this diet and let me go to the gym and work out. Like, was it I'm going to, you know, get in shape? and have this, you know, attractive body, and then I won't be depressed anymore? Or, like, how, how did you think, you know, yeah. your physical appearance and capabilities was going to affect, the, like, the deepest issues that you were facing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I definitely thought that some amount of my happiness or depression was tied to my, my body, my being overweight, um, because I, I wasn't, 
yet at a at an age where I was having health problems. Um, I mean, my doctor said that I was probably going to get diabetes if I didn't lose weight. Uh, and so my solution to that was I just stopped going to the doctor. Like I just didn't go anymore for years. I was like, well, that's not what I want to hear. So I'm not going back, you know, and you can get away with it. I was in my 20s and early 30s. So, you know, you don't need a lot of regular medical care necessarily. But, um, yeah, I, I wanted to. I wanted to not be overweight. I felt really ashamed of it. And I felt, I guess I felt out of control. I felt a, a loss of control uh, in my own life. And I felt like my body is revealing to the world how out of control I am. Or, or it's giving a hint into what's going on inside of me that like, I just can't control this life. Like I'm, I'm losing basically is what it felt like. I'm losing and things are slipping away. Um, and I thought losing weight would make me feel better about myself, that it would make me uh, feel happy. Um, now, I guess, I guess a really interesting thing is it does in small pieces, but it's not sustainable. So it's not it's not real. It's kind of a distraction. Um, it's not real happiness. Uh, when I did adopt a whole foods plant based diet and I and I did that, I went all in. Uh, kind of as a last resort thing, I, I lost 70 to 80 pounds in less than a year. Uh, so I went from a guy who was uh, like 230 plus pounds to around 160. Um, that, I mean, that was way more than I ever could have imagined. And uh, I remember thinking, I remember, you know, kind of looking at myself at the end of that thinking like, all right, well, now I've, I've got to be happy because look at this amazing fitness. And I looked in the mirror and I, I was like, oh man, I'm the same person. <laughs> I'm not any happier. I'm 70 plus pounds less, but I am the same person. You know, this, this didn't do what I thought it was going to do. And then I embarked on, I guess, stage two or something. You know, I, I took it to another place. But uh, yeah, I, I thought they were more connected than they are the the physical and the uh and the psychological well-being um kind of have to work on both of them <laughs> you can't disregard one now so you'd lost the the 70 or 80 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet yeah I, I was uh prior to that i was eating all processed foods i i like to tell people that i was eating like everything in the costco frozen section like frozen pizzas uh taquitos, uh, pot stickers, like all that. I loved just buying all that stuff and just eating junk all the time. So I, I got pretty overweight by doing that. And then, um, just by coincidence, one, one weekend, uh, my wife and I were watching Netflix and we saw this documentary forks over knives. I'd never heard of it. I had no intention of, uh, watching anything about diet or changing my diet. Um, I'd gotten interested a little bit in food and diet for, because I had read some of Michael Pollan's books. And so that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that well, food is is something and it has value. Uh, and there are different levels of it. It's not just how many calories am I putting in? Like there are different types of foods and, and they come from different places and, you know, they, they do different things to your body. But I still didn't have a, a deep understanding of it. Um, and then, yeah, so we just kind of watched Forks Over Knives, and that hit me hard. And uh, and I'm sure I was eating, 
you know, pizza or something or chicken wings while watching it. I'm sure I was having a feast because that's kind of what we would do, just watch TV and, and have a feast regularly. Um, but so I went overnight from about, you know, one of the worst diets you can have to, I, in my opinion, one of the best, if not, if not the best diet you can have to a, a whole foods plant-based diet. Um, I, I bought Dr. Esselstyn's book, uh, prevent and reverse heart disease the next day and switched, switched to his program the, the very next day, you know, so I, I kind of went to the, the strictest version there is. Huh. And how did that what did it look like to, to suddenly go to a really strict version? Was did it did it feel like enhancing or or, or a little punitive? Um I, I think this all happened so fast that I didn't have a chance to think about anything. I didn't plan anything out. I was kind of riding this wave of inspiration that I was just I felt th this jolt uh, from watching Forks Over Knives. It, it's hard to describe, but like I, I felt something just really click inside of me. And I said, we have to do this. And my wife was on board. And so we, the next day, we, we packed up all the food in our house and we gave it away. We gave it away to family, just all the junk food and bought brown rice, beans, <laughs> vegetables, you know, the, the healthiest stuff. I think going the strict, I didn't know I was going the strictest route because I didn't know anything else about this plant-based world. Um, but I knew that I couldn't hurt myself with vegetables. You know, I knew that, okay, if I eat a lot of vegetables, maybe I won't enjoy what I'm eating, but I can't hurt myself. This isn't dangerous. Cause you know, there's all these bizarre fad diets and I think a lot of them are just dangerous and irresponsible. Um, but I was not afraid of vegetables or brown rice or things like that for, for hurting me. And so I kind of had some ignorance. I didn't, I didn't have a chance to think about how strict this would be and what other options there were. I just kind of said, nothing I've been doing has worked. Let me see what happens with this. And I just said, I'm going to commit to a year of it and see how that goes. And uh, it was very clear within a couple weeks that this was something immensely powerful, like nothing else I'd ever experienced just uh, incredibly rapid weight loss and incredible energy levels that showed up out of nowhere. And it's interesting. I just you know, listened to, uh, to a lecture by Neil Barnard uh, from, from last weekend, and he mm -hmm. talked about the, you know, our cheese addiction. And he, he, you know, he has a whole thing about like, you know, addiction and dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. That's, the, the reason we get addicted to things is they give us these dopamine rushes, the pleasure reward centers of our brains light up. And that if you want to get off of cheese, you can't just get off of cheese. You have to like enhance your life. And he talks about like, you know, intimacy and, and having relationships with people and moving your body, exercising and, and music. And here you were a, a lifelong struggle with depression. And all of a sudden you're giving up all your drugs like every, every every source of dopamine that you had known is now, you know, in, in, the, in the food pantry. And you're you're not only like not going for those things anymore, you're, you're going for like grim fare, right? Like like you mentioned in your big change interview with, with Jason Cohen, that's like the food didn't even have to taste good. Like what the hell happened? Like what, what did you do to make up for that, you know, that huge dopamine gap? Um, 
I mean, first of all, I was just sick and tired of who I was and how I felt. Like, I felt like I was at the end. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I felt like life could not keep going the way it was going. Um, and I was only 34 years old, but I felt like life was going to be coming to an end soon, like very soon. So there was a, a an element of like desperation present, like that I just can't keep going down this path and I can't try any other kind of BS approaches that, that moderate everything. But I also did not get rid of all of my drugs because I, I, I still had alcohol and I was, I was definitely drinking alcohol, uh, in those first few months when I adopted, um, an Esselstyn kind of, uh, plant-based diet. Um, but yeah, the, the food that I was making was not, it, it did not taste good because I didn't actually follow any of the recipes that, you know, there are, uh, like two weeks worth of recipes in, in Dr. Esselstyn's book. I'm kind of lazy. I, I don't like putting a lot of effort into my food, uh, or I didn't at the time. And so I didn't really care what it tasted like. I just said, I just need to put it in me. It just needs to, you know, fit within his rules. And it did. And it was just a lot of brown rice and vegetables and like some vinegars and spices and, and, and some beans and things. And it took me a, a little while, a few weeks before I found some combinations that worked, that tasted good. And also for my body to adapt because yeah, I got rid of, you know, very rich, intense flavored foods and replaced it with stuff that just seemed like dry cardboard stuff that I had never liked in my life. But Esselstyn talks about uh, your, your, your tastes change. Um, I, th I think he says 12 weeks is, is what it takes to change. I would say in my experience, it was like four to six weeks. Um, and the, the stuff brown rice that I hated for most of my life, all of a sudden started to taste delicious. So, I mean, I didn't need to get better at cooking. I just needed to let my body adapt to these natural foods. And, and then I really started to appreciate what they tasted like. Um, and, uh, I got this surge of energy, you know, so the, the dopamine, the, the, the drugs that I, that I took away from myself. Um, I think we know that those don't really work, you know, like you get that, that small hit of it and then you crash and you feel worse about yourself, uh, afterwards. That was not the case. Um, you know, with all these healthy foods, I, the, the, um, energy that shows up, is amazing and it's present all the time and it just keeps building and it, and it has this very positive quality to it that there's no downside at all other than maybe you don't like the taste of what you're eating in that moment. Um, oh, well you'll survive because it feels so good. And a couple days later you'll adapt to it and love it. So I find it fascinating that you were able to compartmentalize the alcohol uh, and keep and I, keep it in, you know. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if Esselstyn like mentioned it specifically, <laughs> but but like, you know, if you think about it for 30 seconds, <laughs> you know what I'm you know what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, clearly, that wasn't something I wanted to think about. So I it, I definitely compartmentalized it in the sense that it was it was kind of off limits at that point. It wasn't it wasn't going to be addressed. And Dr. Esselstyn did say uh, something about alcohol is permitted in, in, I'm sure he didn't use the term moderation because he has a whole chapter called moderation kills. So he, he probably said, you know, in small amounts or, you know, something like that. Obviously I took it to a, a much higher level. 
Um, I mean, I was probably drinking uh, 10 to 12 beers a night, <laughs> um, like a very, very excessive amount. And you were, um, you were still able to see and feel these incredible gains on a plant yeah. on, on two, two six packs a night. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what was so crazy because I knew what it felt like to drink that much and eat terrible food. You feel awful, like about as awful as you can feel at all times, essentially. Um, and so I kept the alcohol, but I changed the food. Um, and I felt amazing. Um, and I was losing weight rapidly. Um, I mean like 20 pounds a month and this is with no exercise, no running. There's, there was no exercise in my life at that time. So this was all dietary changes. And again, while consuming, you know, maybe eight to 12 beers a night, like a, a significant amount. Um, but it didn't take long before, you know, that, that separate compartment of the alcohol really started to, you know, move more into the, the main part of my mind. It's like, well, I don't know if this is compatible with the, the rest of the changes that I've made in life. I mean, obviously I knew the answers, right? I, I'm not, I'm not that ignorant, but we can fool ourselves. We can hide things from ourselves or we can just ignore things for a long time that we don't want to deal with. But, uh, it was too obvious. It was too blatant. I said, okay, well, you know, there's tremendous, uh, success from this plant-based diet. There's tremendous energy and rapid weight loss and just this, this increase in health. But now there's, there's all this alcohol here and this doesn't fit. This doesn't work. And I think it's time, you know, that we take a look at that now and, and see if we can do something about that. Was, was, what did you do? How, how easy or hard? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it sounds to me like you were maybe, you know, could be clinically diagnosed as alcoholic. I would have to say yes. I mean, I, I think I probably, I mean, I, I drank regularly since, since college, but in that point in my life, and like I said, when I, when I adopted this plant-based diet, like I was living a lifestyle that I felt wasn't going to last long that I, like my, my days were, were numbered. So I was probably in the middle of, of two years of drinking, like, honestly, like, like 12, 12 beers a night, <laughs> Um, which is, yes, uh, that would fit any definition of alcoholism that, that there is, I, I'm sure. Right. So, um, so, I mean, with food, we, we, we don't really know what to do, like when we're going to change our diets. There's, but, but with alcohol, like there's a cultural understanding, like you go to AA. Yeah. Right? Did, did you do that? Or how, how did you deal with like change, you know, reducing or eliminating alcohol? Yeah, well... I did, I did not go to AA. I guess the, uh, the change that I made through my diet taught me a lot about life. Um, and I, and I was mentioning that earlier that, um, you know, that kind of woke me up and gave me a new perspective that there are other options. And so my dietary change was very extreme and that's what everybody would say. Everybody wants you to kind of ease into a healthy diet. They want you to moderate things. They want you to have multiple cheat days where you're still eating garbage all the time. But I didn't do that. And, and what I did do, the, the, the profound change, uh, had a profound impact. And so that was kind of the new model for me. And it, and it worked. That's the thing. It felt sustainable where nothing else had ever felt sustainable. So I kind of took that approach to other areas of my life and, you know, it sort of came into, uh, this, this, uh, 
alcohol area of my life where it was like, well, I know the answer isn't going to be moderation because again, you know, Dr. Esselstyn was my guide at this point. I was really just hanging on every word he had to say and I could kind of hear his voice in my mind and I knew that moderation was never going to be the answer to, to anything in life. You're, you're all in or you're, or you're not in at all. And so that was just in the back of my mind and I knew one day I would have to completely let go. Um, and so I think, I guess I, I got very lucky. One day I got on my treadmill at a treadmill in my basement um, and I'd probably lost 30 pounds or so by then just from dietary changes. Um, but again, I was still drinking. So one day I felt pretty crappy from, from drinking too much. And I just got on the treadmill to try to run it off. I, I mean, I hadn't run for many years and I was never a runner and I hated running. Um, I bought a treadmill out of desperation years earlier to try to lose weight. It was, you know, a nice treadmill, probably five years old and it may have had like 20 miles on it. You know, it was not, it did not get used. But I got on that treadmill that one day and ran like three miles and I had never run three miles without stopping. And I was just, <laughs> again, I was astonished. Um, it's, it's kind of similar to like Dean Carnassus's story about just <laughs> being drunk on his birthday and leaving a bar and running, but he ran like 40 miles. I ran like three miles, yeah. but it, it was the same. It was the same impact. It was like, oh my God, how, how did that just happen? And then I did it the next day and I did it the next day and I started doing five miles. Um, and I was still, I was drinking each of those days, but then it really kind of came to a head. It was like, okay, this running thing is awesome. It took me like three days to realize that this drinking thing does not fit. Like they are really opposed to one another. They're each one is making the other much harder. So one of them has to go. Uh, and so I was like, well, you know, the new things in my life have been awesome. They've been kind of rocking my world. I'm going to pick running and I'm going to let go of, of the drinking. And, uh, I mean that I got, I feel like I got very lucky because this was not a plan. You know, as you, as you said, if I were to have followed a plan, I would have gone to AA. I just kind of figured it out in my basement by running. And that really took its place. Um, uh, but in a, in a much more fulfilling and, and positive and sustainable manner. Uh, and so I just, I made the decision to let go of drinking and it was compatible with, you know, what I had learned from my dietary change from, from Dr. Esselstyn, you know, that you're, this is a significant change. You're, you're, you're going with this strict approach. Like I had learned that worked and I think it has to do with my personality type. I don't think that fits every personality type. But it did for for mine, and, and that's something that I became aware of, and then leveraged that that ability. So, did you find that running did the same things for you that drinking had? It did, yeah, but in a in a better way. So, because of of struggling with depression for so many years, alcohol calmed the negative voices in my mind, or just the negative feelings. Like it, it gave me it gave me a break. Basically, it made me feel, I guess, at peace for a period of time, but it's kind of, it's very fleeting. It does not last long. And before you know it, the negative parts show up, you know, feeling sick of even before you're hungover, just, you know, you have maybe an hour or two where you feel good, but everything outside of that, you feel absolutely awful. Then once I stopped drinking and started running, 
um, when I would have, uh, let's say a bad day at work or just struggling in, in general, I learned I could just go for a run. I would go for a three mile run, a five mile run. And my mind was clear. Like I would get that, that dopamine rush and I, and I could feel it. I could feel it kick in after like 30 to 40 minutes, um, of running. And I, I recognized the most amazing thing that while on a run, I could not possess a negative thought. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Whereas in all other, uh, times of my life, uh, all other moments of the day, negative thoughts were constantly bouncing around there. But if I go out for a run, particularly a decently intense run, um, just the negative thoughts were not possible. And then when I finished running, there was like a positive kind of hangover, like this high persisted. Um, so that was something that was way better than whatever alcohol could ever do. Um, and, and I recognized that quickly and it, it was, it was powerful. And I, then I used it and I knew I'd have a, if I had a bad day where normally I would be like, man, I definitely have to drink to make this go away. I would say, no, I have to throw on my running shoes and just go out for a run. Um, and then once I could get up to like seven mile runs, I was running for an hour. It was just, it was magical. Like I, I could make, I could make any issue go away. <laughs> I could, I could replace any negative thought with just happiness from that. So I wanted to ask you about your wife. You, you've mentioned her a few times and, you know, from, from the way you describe yourself as being, having been severely depressed at the end of your rope basically alcoholic and then like sitting with her feasting and watching forks over knives. I'm, I'm just imagining that this, you know, that this ride with you must have been very intense <laughs> for her. And I'm wondering in what ways, you know, she was able to provide stability or colluded or resisted or enabled or supported. Like, and I don't know if you even want to talk about it, you know, cause I know there's, there's, you know, she might just, want to be a private person and have nothing to do with it. But, uh, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. I'm curious too. I feel like I would want to hear her answers as well. I feel <laughs> like we should just put, we should bring her in right now. Um, okay. I'm sure okay. I was a very, <laughs> I'm sure I was a very difficult person, uh, to deal with. I know that we had a lot of fights about a lot of these issues. Um, I guess I'm thankful that, that she did not enable any of this. Uh, drinking was just never part of her lifestyle. It's not anything she was ever familiar with or cared about or, or did in any way. She could have one drink and, and not care in the slightest bit. Um, so I could not relate to that. And, and there were many, there were many fights, uh, over, over that. Um, because she would just say, why can't you just have a couple drinks and then stop? And I literally didn't know why I couldn't, but I knew that I couldn't. <laughs> I tried and I, I couldn't. Um, so I'm thankful. I mean, as many fights as we had for, for a lot of years, I'm thankful that uh, she did not enable the behavior. Or I think I would have been stuck forever. Um, in terms of, of uh, the poor diet, we definitely both shared the poor diet. She had a, a better diet than I did, uh, just always eating more fruits and vegetables in, in, in her life. Um, and I was just like all processed foods all the time or fast food or things like that. Um, but we, yeah, we both had, had the poor diet together, but we both then made the change together to the whole foods plant-based diet. And so that made things, 
um, much easier because uh, I do often hear from people, um, you know, that one person is making a change, but the other in the relationship is not, and that it's a struggle. Um, I, yeah, I would imagine it is. I, I didn't uh, go through that. We did both make the change at the same time. And so, um, you know, we were living a similar lifestyle. She did not kind of uh, fall in love with running like I did. And that really catapulted me to even higher levels. Um, but yeah, it was, it was helpful to have made that transition together. Uh, but I'm sure I was a disaster, uh, to live with. I, I was, you know, miserable and depressed and an alcoholic and out of control, uh, with, with food and lifestyle and just, just like a, a very negative kind of miserable person. I didn't like being around me. So, I mean, honestly, how could anybody else like being around me? So, so once you, you made these shifts, dietary shift, running, giving up alcohol, like what, what was the next area of your life that you wanted to improve or you saw, you saw the possibility of improving? Like where, where did it go from there? Yeah, so, you know, I started to get, you know, these areas that were totally transforming, you know, diet, health running. I was never a runner. I, I, I truly hated running. Uh, and just a, a very quick story. When I was in high school, um, I was, uh, I, I played soccer. I played uh, a lot of sports, but I was trying out for the varsity soccer team as a, as a sophomore, uh, on a very competitive soccer program. And you had to, in the preseason, do a two mile timed run and you had to do it in like, I don't know, 15 or 16 minutes. Um, I, I got a DNF in that I did not finish. I, I, quit. I couldn't do the run, uh, a two mile run as a, as a high school kid, you know, high school kids can kind of do anything. Like they don't need to train for anything. I, I see them. I'm sure you've seen them in, in like local five K's, you know, they'll go out and, and destroy you and they've never run before, you know? Yeah. I remember doing a sub six mile in high school and I'd never run before. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, it hurt at the end, but, uh, yeah, but high school kids can do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hated running so much that I, I couldn't even run two miles then. Um, so the, the running really, uh, in, in my adult years, opened up life tremendously to me because there's kind of no limit. Like weight loss, there's a limit, right? Your, your body's going to reach the point that it should be at, and then it kind of stops. But with running, there's, turns out there's not a limit. There's always a farther distance. There's always a faster time. Um, and you can keep pursuing that. And when you do that, you kind of don't ever want to stop anything. And so it, then I started looking in other areas of my life. And as you said, like, okay, well, what's next? What, what's the next to change? Um, and I, I guess running was giving me so many positive feelings and new experiences and new friendships and just new connections, feeling so much more connected to the, to the world, um, that I, I just started, uh, kind of embarking on a path of, of positivity, I, I would say of, uh, seeking peace, uh, seeking kindness, seeking love, um, things that I'd never really felt, um, because I'd been trapped in this, uh, kind of negativity and this misery within my, within my own mind. And so that, is really where I started to, um, break out of that. That was the next one. And that was a big one. Like that was one that I, I would say I, I kind of 
clearly avoided, much like you said, I compartmentalized the alcohol, um, which I certainly did. It really, there were a lot of walls uh, with this one where I compartmentalized this because it's like, how am I going to go in there and take this negative person, which I've been forever, and stop being a negative person? Um, I didn't have a great plan for that, but I, you know, it was pretty clear that that's where I needed to go. Um, and that's running helped me get there. That's definitely the area that I'm in right now. Um, just regularly, regularly practicing gratitude, uh, kindness, uh, peace, compassion. Um, these are, it's funny because these are terms that I thought I understood, right? These are words that we've all heard and we think we know them. They don't mean anything until you start to do them. Uh, you can't, know anything until you've done it and done it repeatedly. Um, and I, I listen, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I got very into rich Roll and was listening to Rich's podcast regularly. And so he gets into this area a lot. Uh, and, and it, it just really inspired me to, to go in that direction of, of really all this very positive psychology and, and positive messaging, um, and I, I'll admit that sometimes at the beginning, it seemed like a little bit of BS, but also I had a lot of negative messages uh, in my mind and I started to see them dissipate and I started to see the positivity really take hold and change how I felt and change things around me, change how people around me related to me and even just changed who related to me. Uh, again, it was like another fairly astonishing change and one that I very much find myself in right now. It's, it's funny because when I think about my own addictions and things I've given up, the food has been easy compared to the thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been so addicted to my, my smart ass cynical self that it feels really vulnerable and scary and even even shameful to show up a different way. Yeah. To, you know, especially around people with whom I've gotten some cred for being this this smart ass critic of everything. Um I, I I love that you say that because that's exactly how I was. And um you know much like when I made these changes where, where when the alcohol was still present, it really started to stand out that it didn't belong. Like, you know, big flashing neon signs like, hey, you know, look at this. This can't be here. Um, that that aspect of my life started. To, I was a very sarcastic, you know, quick witted, critical uh, type of person. But, yeah, that that's who I thought I was. That's how I came to be and, and occupied that place in the world. Um, and I can remember a day where I chose to stop, where I said, because I hurt somebody with my sarcasm. I hurt uh, a coworker who was, who was a friend of mine, and I didn't intend to. And I, I honestly think something about the the new uh, whole foods plant based diet that I was on just opened up, you know, new levels of compassion that I had never felt before. And when I inadvertently hurt her with some stupid sarcastic remark. I was upset. I was disappointed in myself. And in that moment, I said, okay, sarcasm is going to go. And I just removed it. And yeah, it felt really weird because 
what the hell was I going to say if I didn't say some sarcastic remark? I didn't have anything else to say. I, I wasn't going to reveal my true feelings. Um, but when you kind of live in that space of unknown, uh, it gets filled with, with the right things. If you, if you are, if you're patient, if you're, um, just understanding, if you're, if you allow it to, um, and that's, that's probably something else very important that I've learned in life. We think, you know, there's a wrong way to do things and then you immediately jump to the right way of doing things when you go through change and you certainly don't. There's this whole big middle ground that's just unknown. Um, and it's painful and it's usually why we run back to what we know, which is the bad thing. Um, all it's just uncomfortable and you just have to stay there in that space and deal with being uncomfortable. And after a while, it stops being uncomfortable and it starts to get filled with, with more positive things as long as you let it. But that's, that's how I made that change in, in that, in that personality aspect. And I completely agree with you. The food, I thought food was my struggle for my whole life. I thought losing weight would be, you know, the hardest thing in the world. And it turned out to be the easiest and everything else that comes after that, like you're saying is, is harder. There's no doubt. One of the, the authors and thinkers that I rely upon to keep me sane these days is a guy named Charles Eisenstein, who has a, he talks about the space between stories. Where he says, we have our story of the world, the old story about human beings controlling everything. And, and then we need to, you know, we're destroying the world and we're destroying each other. And so the story is breaking down. And you can see it in big ways and small ways that all of our comfortable 20th century liberal assumptions have broken down. And we're terrified because we think we need to replace them right away. We need, mm. uh, we need the new story. Like, well, what, will, what will the economy look like if we're no longer competing with each other cutthroat? His point is, we don't know. We have to live in the space between stories. And we have to be comfortable with that if we're ever going to get to the new story. We can't, we can't build it from a place of, not, of, of, of any kind of knowledge because we have none. That, that is, I mean, that is so perfect. Yeah, that is so perfectly said. That's exactly it. Um, I, I have not read his work. I would, I would love to. Um, but I, I came upon a similar understanding just through my own process. And yeah, the reason you can't jump from the wrong story to the right one is because when you're in that wrong one, in that bad one, that's all that you know. You don't know anything else. You have to first remove that, eliminate that, and then exist really as an open book. Um, you know, you have to clear the slate and you have to just be, you have to take things in and see what's out there, but take it in, going back to what we talked about earlier, without attachment, without ego. Um, and that's where you learn a new way. And that is a big space that there's a, there's a large gap there and you have to be okay with that level of discomfort, but it's not actually painful. It's just that you're in an unknown area. Um, and you will be okay. Just don't run back to what you know and what you know is the thing you've always done. And that's what keeps you stuck in the cycle you've always been in. Um, and really running taught me that running and ultra marathon running taught me that. Cause if there's, 
if, if you want to be in a space where you don't know what's happening, um, you know, go <laughs> run, run, get yourself to the level to run an ultra marathon, as I know, you know, you've been doing, um, it will, it will put you in that space <laughs> for a lot of the time. Right. So I know we ha- we haven't talked about your, your running career and the, you know, the many races and, and miles you've put on, but I kind of like, as we're, as we're closing to kind of s- skip over that. Because as, as interesting as it is, what I find more interesting is you've become a kind of a servant of runners. That you've, you've moved to a place of you know, pacing other runners, enabling this, this school teacher to, to run across the United States. Like, talk a little bit about, about that transition from you being a, you know, a holy cow, look what he can do runner to kind of midwifing other people's greatness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's another interesting, uh, transition and one that I didn't expect when I started running and started getting pretty decent at running. It was, Holy cow, look at what I could do, you know? And it was feeding the ego and I was using it to feed the ego. And I was running, I was running marathons and only cared about the time on the clock. And uh, I mean, you can look at pictures of me finishing early marathons with a look of disgust, like a 20 minute PR personal record, you know, significant improvement in my time with a face of disgust. And that's not the way running should have gone in my life. And so, um, just getting into the world of ultra marathon running, running these longer distances, you realize that it takes more than just the runner. It takes a team of people. It takes, you know, crew members, pacers. Um, and I can't remember exactly how I got into that, but once I started doing it, I thought like it kind of clicked with me that, well, this is the right thing to do. This doesn't feed my ego. This is actually the exact opposite. Like I will put in a significant amount of work and really probably not get any of the credit. (laughs) And that hurt a little bit at first. I wanted to be like, whoa, 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 you know, look, I just ran with you for 12 hours. Can I get a lot of credit for this? But I knew, I knew I couldn't say that out loud because I knew that that was wrong, you know? And so I had to keep telling myself that's wrong to think that way. Let go of that, let go. And so I just kept doing more crewing and pacing of people and really starting to fall in love with it to the point where I enjoy helping somebody else get to the finish line of a hundred of a 100 mile race more so than I enjoy me getting to the finish line. Um, and uh, I, 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 yeah, I just, I fell in love with it. Um, yeah, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, Kayla, a school teacher from uh, New York was running across the country. Uh, and I decided to, to crew and pace for her among, uh, other of her friends, very accomplished runners. Um, she wound up not making it there. There were some, uh, injuries that took place. And so she had to abandon the effort, but still it was, you know, that taught me so much of, you know, just people coming together to help someone else accomplish a goal. And it is, it's so, it's so rewarding. Um, and I I spoke a little bit earlier about how terms like kindness and gratitude, we hear them and we think we know them, but we don't until we actually do them until we actually commit to them. And I thought I understood like generosity and giving. Uh, and you always hear about, um, especially people who are big in philanthropy, that, that when, when they give, it gives so much more back to them. And my whole life, I was like, I'm, that's, 
that's BS. That's just not the case. That, that there's no way that that is possible. Um, until I started doing it and I started to realize, wow, this is amazing. All I have to do is show up and run with somebody else, take care of them, help them accomplish their goal. And I'm going to feel amazing. Not only that, but I'll have this deep connection with this person because sometimes I do, I do it with, with people that I haven't met before, people that I barely know. In fact, in most cases, uh, it's with people that I don't know well, or sometimes have never met. I, I paced uh, a girl at Western States, uh, Western States 100 this year. I met her in the middle of the race. I met her at, at 11 PM. You know, she met me in the dark and I was like, let's go. She didn't have a pacer and my runner had already dropped out and our crew people connected us. And you know, the first time she met me is when we started running and I spent uh, 12 hours or so with her, uh, you know, getting to the finish line. These are amazing experiences. And, uh, when you open yourself up to that, it, it, it is just so rewarding that it's almost hard to go back and it has been hard to go back to running for myself mm. because it doesn't give me that same feeling. It's just me, you know, and the ego pops back up and it's like, oh, you know, I, I don't want that. I want I want the friendly running and I want to help the person. I want to guide them and I want to be there for them. Yeah, it's like like your life has been these concentric circles ever expanding of identification. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, starting um, with, the, with the appetite and the ego and you know whatever you want to call it, the spirit or the soul, and now to some to some collective. You know, yeah, like, like yeah. There's 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 a we out there, and and me isn't so big compared to the we. Well, the, yeah, and again, a very excellent point, and and being stuck in my own mind for my whole life. There was no we, there was just me. And what can I get from me? And what are other people trying to take from me? And how can I stop them? You know, everything was very confrontational and adversarial. And now, I mean, uh, I have completely opened myself up and it's, it's very funny. I will meet people at, at races, at ultra marathons and like within seconds, um, we're exchanging the deepest information, you know, the deepest feelings within ourselves, things that, you know, I've spent a lifetime concealing. Um, and it's, it's a much better way of living life. <laughs> in my opinion, maybe it's not for everyone, but, uh, it is that sense of we, and it's, you know, how, how can I help you? I will just show up. I will show up at races. I've done it. I've shown up at races not knowing anyone, not having any plan and then saying, I'm here to help who needs help. Let's, let's do this. What do we, what do we have to do? You know? And in that sense, it's almost like I use my running career now that this is how I've started looking at it in the last six months, last year, I use my running, my training, my, my top position on Strava. I use all those miles to help somebody else get to the finish line. I use my races, my ups and downs, my, uh, dramatic collapses and, 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 you know, struggles in my own races to help other people get through theirs. Uh, and I, I love it. I, I couldn't possibly be happier. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's almost like you look back on the whole trajectory and the whole journey and all the mistakes and you're like, thank God for them. I, you know, thank God for every, <laughs> for every stage along the way. Cause it's, it's, it's brought me to where I am now. Yeah. I, I, I said that to you at the beginning, maybe before we started recording that, um, 
my my knowledge is not some sort of expertise. Like I, I don't I don't consider myself along the lines of a of a Dr. Esselstyn or a Dr. Campbell. Um, you know, these these are amazing people that that changed my life. They are experts. You know, they've committed their lives to their area of study, their area of expertise. I've just gone out and made a lot of mistakes and then decided to learn from them and go out and make more mistakes and go out and openly make more mistakes uh, and and learn from them. Um, And I just did it this past weekend. I just attempted a 100-mile race in Southern California, Chimera 100. Um, I I was doing quite well in it. I was actually in third place, but I've never found myself uh, (laughs) doing so well in a race, not not nearly so well. I was in third place, and I, I passed out at mile 92. I went unconscious. Uh, and that was the end, that was the end of my race. I, I was out. So I am really okay with whatever these things are that happen. If you want to call them kind of epic disasters or mistakes. Um, I learned that I did not, uh, have a good understanding of proper hydration in, in this very dry Southern California climate. Uh, and I'm not going to forget it because there was not a slow demise (laughs) to the end of my race. I went from being on top to being unconscious. Uh, and I'll remember that and I'll learn that and I'll use that for myself and for, and for others. Um, and it's, yeah, that's, it's not really the path that I feel like I chose. I get a lot of credit for these things. I didn't choose that, you know, that chose me. Uh, and so I just kind of embrace, I embrace that path. Um, I'm not, I'm not the one who's going to be the expert knowing what I'm doing. I'm going to be the one to go out there and make the mistakes and then I'll come back and I'll share it with everybody else and say, hey, let's not do this. Here's what's going to happen if you do this. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's that, that saying, I think it's a Japanese expression, all, all of us is smarter than any one of us. <laughs> so, you know, not, not only you making the mistakes, but you coming back and sharing them and you being transparent and okay with it allows all the rest of us to make all of our mistakes, too, and to share the knowledge. I think that's... That's how we're going to move ahead as a, uh, as a species on this planet, is by, by not trying to be right, but uh, just you know, sh- sharing, sharing what, what we've sown and reaped. It, it is so true, and, and we're conditioned to hide those things. We're conditioned to, you know, to conceal those mistakes, and I, I definitely did for a long time. Um, but I, I'll say, it, this one happened again. Of, Somebody reached out to me on Facebook, somebody that I, I had sort of met at, a, at Hellfest, at a, at a plant-based um, you know, weekend kind of seminar thing. And he reached out to me on Facebook and he said, you know, I really love when you share your stories of what went wrong, you know, where you, where you show that you're not perfect. Because, I, I mean, on Facebook, it's really easy to look perfect all the time. You know, we really control that image. And I was certainly controlling that image. And when he reached out to me and told me that, I was like, wow, if people want to hear mistakes, like I have an endless supply of that. Like I, I could do that forever. I, I could, all I have to do is open up. And I really made that conscious decision. And that was a, that was a major shift. And exactly what you said, that is how we learn from one another, where we learn what didn't work and we share it openly and we collectively, you know, come together to find a better path. It's, that's again, had a, had a profound change. It was a little uncomfortable, very uncomfortable at first. Now, I don't, I don't know what I would talk about if I didn't talk about mistakes that I make. I really have no idea what I, <laughs> what, what I would say. 
<laughs> it reminds me of a of a, a crack Obama made about uh, I guess your your old mayor Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> he said, uh, you know, he he lost his middle finger in an accident. He was he was rendered mute. Right, right. If, right. if we don't have our mistakes to talk about, what else? What else is there? Uh, I mean, I don't know because there's not much that I know beyond what I've done wrong and hopefully how to not do that exact same thing wrong again and just keep finding a better way. Right on. Well, Dave, it's been such a pleasure to, to talk to you, to hear your story, and I just I feel so hopeful and inspired that, you know, that both, both because you, your story is so unique in the world and also because it's so common, and there's so many of us on this path, stumbling, finding our way, losing our way, sharing, growing, that, you know, that with, with your leadership and with all of our leadership, I think we're, we might make it through. That's, uh, that's incredibly kind of you to say. Uh, yeah, it's been a tremendous honor to, to talk to you. I actually forgot we were on a podcast. I thought we were just having an, an awesome conversation um, because I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet or, or, or speaking to you. Um, I have had that pleasure with some of my other uh, heroes in the plant-based world and in the running world. Um, but I know that all of our worlds kind of intersect now and that we work together on these things. So, uh, you know, everything you're saying, I, I think is right on. I, I just want to add a little thing to that. I remember um, when I was at Health Fest a couple years ago, um, and I don't know if you've ever been to Health Fest uh, in, in, Mar in Marshall, Texas. I highly recommend it. It's tremendous. Uh, just a tremendous gathering of, of all these plant-based people. But uh, Rich Roll was there, and he was talking about uh, kind of the struggle of preaching to the choir, you know, that he was giving his message to people who were already on board. And I, and I was talking to him, and I said, we, we are taking your message and your inspiration. You know, people like Rich Roll, Dr. Garth Davis was there. You know, I, I love that guy uh, now, having uh, spent time with him over the last two years. Um, these are amazing people, and they have amazing messages. The regular people, like us, I'm I'm just a re I'm regular people. I take it out and I and I share it on the streets. I mean, I literally talk to everybody I meet about these kinds of things. So you know, you you are on those front lines. You're putting those words out there in in the books, in the you know the media, the podcast for for us to listen to. But then there's the rest of us, and I've met so many of us regular people who are just spreading the message. You know, on a on a grassroots kind of level. And so in that sense, we really do all work together on this. Uh, and that's amazing. And I, and I love that part of it. I love whatever part I occupy and whatever part uh, everyone else occupies. And a lot of you guys are, are like celebrities to me in my world, but I'm so tremendously honored to have you as friends too. It, it, like it's, it's a legitimate thing and uh, it, it's just an amazingly beautiful thing. And I'm just really uh, grateful to be part of it. Well, Dave, I look forward to meeting you at some event somewhere. Hopefully, we'll be able to throw on our running shoes and go for a run together. I think we'll be past. We'll be in a in a med tent in an aid station somewhere. I think that'll be a cool way to do it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. Hopefully, both of us will be conscious. Of that sure, sure. All right, Dave. Thank you so much again for for taking the time. Oh, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com 
And again, if you want to hear about why you should abandon hope when you want to make a big change, visit plantyourself.com slash hope. Also, be, while you're there, be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 189. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 188 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you don't get the weekly email newsletter, you can sign up right then. I got a new review on iTunes this week from Annalyn72 from Sweden. She writes, great podcast, always a pleasure to listen to, and I've learned a lot, funny and serious at the same time, but easy to understand even for a Swedish girl. Smiley face. Well, thank you so much, Annalyn72. I expect no less from Swedish girls and everyone else, for that matter. And it's so amazing that we can connect with one another and share our insights and curiosities across oceans. Thanks, as always, to Plant Yourself podcast patrons Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, and new this week, Leanne Peterson. So we've got a Pedersen and a Peterson. We got a pair of Tinas, and all I'm missing is a million dollar donor. But uh, there's always next week, right? If you would like to support the show in your way, you can share this and other episodes on social media via email. You can write that review on iTunes, and you can become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. In running news, the marathon workouts are getting progressively harder on the weekends. This past Sunday was two miles warm up, two miles cool down, and in between six one-mile intervals at seven and a half minutes per mile. Very challenging, quite long, and actually about halfway through, I kept on trying to rationalize with myself why I should quit and just go home and forget about the whole thing. And those thoughts kept me entertained for the last six miles. In garden news, we harvested a lot more potatoes this summer than we have eaten in time. We don't really have good cold storage, and it looks like a lot of potatoes that we worked really hard to grow are going to end up in the compost. And so sometimes you kind of just have to let it go, huh? Even though uh, I have a, a fair amount of regret for not having had more potato dishes instead of maybe rice or uh, other grains. But I guess I will just, as they say in the book, change anything, turn a bad day into good data, and either grow fewer potatoes next year or get much more aggressive about giving them away, selling them, and preparing them for ourselves. So that's all for this week. As always, be well, my friends. 